Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Canada EHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In the Rocky Mountains near present-day Pincher Creek, Alberta, there's a legend of a gold mine with such treasures that whoever finds it will be set for life, as will several generations of their descendants. There's a catch, though. Those seeking its fortune will encounter a great deal of bad luck, or even death. One prospector shared a story while drinking in a saloon how he hoped to strike it rich one day, but he would never go looking for it. When asked why, he simply said, It's cursed. But does the mine exist? Some say it does, while others say it's a simple campfire tale. What is true is that no one has been able to find it in over 125 years. The legend of the Lost Lemon Mine is one of the great mysteries of the Canadian Rockies. I'm Craig Baird, and this is a special episode of Canadian History X. There are many variations of the tale of the Lost Lemon Mine, and the details always seem to change. In fact, nearly every article I read and every site I visited had a different version. To keep things consistent and less complicated, I will relate the most common version of the tale with some other variations mixed in. The story of the Lost Lemon Mine begins in the autumn of 1870, although some sources say 1879, with a white prospector named Frank Lemon and his indigenous friend Black Jack. The two men had been searching for gold in the Rocky Mountains when they found a gold deposit between the Crow's Nest Pass and the Highwood River in southwestern Alberta. This area of Canada is quite beautiful. I lived in the area at one point, and it can be stunning to see. You have the high, rising Rockies next to the foothills of Alberta. Great rivers flow down these mountains, which are often capped in snow and ice almost year-round. To the south, you have the area where the Frank Slide happened, 
And to the north, the Kicking Horse Pass, which is a white knuckling drive if you don't like heights. Now before you start thinking of going and finding this legendary mine yourself, keep in mind the distance between those two points on the map is 60 kilometers through mountainous terrain. It won't be an easy find. Dense forest, cliffs that drop a thousand feet to one side and a tall slab of mountain with the occasional rockfall on the other side. Bears, cougars and the assorted mountain goats are the only neighbors. Along with the beautiful waterfalls and the majestic views is a real sense of danger. One wrong step could be your last. One miner interviewed in 1930 said the mine was near the Corselet Peak, which is located in the Rockies about 75 kilometers southwest of High River, Alberta. Yet, no one has found it in the century of looking. And people have looked because the mine is thought to have $7 billion worth of gold in it. How do they estimate how much gold is in a mine that may only be legend? Well, I don't have an answer for that. Anyways, the story says that Frank Lemon and Blackjack found the gold mine, and they got into an argument over whether to camp and start mining immediately, or take some gold nuggets with them and get someone to pay for an operation and return in the spring. They couldn't agree and they went to bed without a resolution. You know what they say, never go to bed angry. Well, Lemon was still mad, and in the middle of the night he crawled out of his blankets picked up an axe, and killed his friend Blackjack with a single blow to the head. Immediately realizing what he did, Lemon built a huge fire to burn the body. He then picked up a gun and left the area. If killing your friend wasn't bad enough, things were about to get worse. Lemon began to lose his mind, convinced he was being pursued by the ghost of Blackjack as he fled the mountains. Another version of the story states the two men mined gold in quartz for three weeks, valued at $27,000, a massive fortune for the time, but they could not agree on who would have the gold claim and who would have the quartz claim. In this version, an argument ensued and Lemon killed Blackjack with either an axe or a gun. To be clear, whichever version you prefer, Blackjack ends up dead. But in the second version, unbeknownst to Lemon, two Blackfoot men had been watching from the trees. They saw the pair strike gold, and they witnessed the argument and the subsequent murder. They went to their chief who swore them to secrecy and made them promise to never tell a soul about the gold. For the indigenous, gold was not seen in the same way as it would be seen with Europeans. It was something that could be turned into a trinket, of course. But it was when Europeans arrived that the indigenous saw what they would do for gold. From the Fraser River gold rush to the Klondike, gold meant the uprooting of indigenous communities followed by violence and death. Here's Crew Williams, the host of Dead Man's Curse, Slumax Gold. Uh, First Nations had no value for gold, but the Europeans were here. And as you see the progression after first contact, I mean, it was rapid buildup. Everybody wanted to be here. It was the final frontier. The land was so rich that all you had to do was show up to win. In this version, it is the chief who apparently put a curse on the area where the murder happened. As for Lemon, he returned to town filled with guilt. The legend doesn't state which town, as Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, and Calgary, the largest communities in southern Alberta today, didn't quite exist yet. The Northwest Mounted Police didn't patrol the area, and the interior of British Columbia, stretching from modern-day Vancouver to Golden, BC, right near the Alberta border about an hour from Banff, had no real settlements until you reached the Fraser River, closer to the Lower Mainland. There were some whiskey forts, but it's likely he went to Montana. Finding a priest, he confessed about what he had done. 
The priest promised to keep his secret, and he asked a local trapper named John McDougall to go to the area, find Blackjack's body, and give it a proper burial. McDougall took with him a group of miners. You know, just in case there is actually gold there. You can't blame a guy for wanting to get rich. On their way to the mine, they stopped in Fort Kip, a whiskey fort near present-day Lethbridge. McDougall then promptly drank himself to death. The miners returned home, and Black Jack was never buried. Two years later, the same indigenous man who witnessed Lemon kill Black Jack saw another man heading towards the mine. He's not identified in the stories, but they found his body the following year outside the mine. Over the years, other hopeful miners asked Lemon to take them to the mine, but every time he approached the area, he was overcome with anxiety and fear and refused to journey any further. And for the rest of his life, his mental and physical health declined, and by all accounts, Lemon was never the same again. I know I've only mentioned two real protagonists in this tale, Lemon and Blackjack, but some accounts have a third character in the story. Lafayette French initially funded Lemon and Blackjack's expedition for gold. He then went on a 30-year-long quest to find the mine and its riches. And according to one account of the legend, he found it. Overcome with excitement, he wrote a letter from the cabin he was staying in nearby in detail of his success and where the mine was located. That night, the cabin burned to the ground and the letter was destroyed. French was able to escape, but contracted pneumonia from exposure that night, and by the time he found help, he was close to death. He sent for Dan Riley, a longtime friend, and started telling him that he found the lost lemon mine. Riley told him to rest, and they would speak in the morning. But by the time the sun rose, French was dead. Dan Riley later became a Canadian senator and launched his own searches for the mine, but was never successful. His son George Riley took up the cause, but he also never found it. There was yet another man who knew the location of the mine, or at least the general area, and that was the unnamed priest whom Lemon confessed to. In 1883, he organized an expedition to find the mine based on the information Lemon gave him. Before he could venture out though, a forest fire destroyed any trace of the route or markers that would have guided him on his way to the mine. Some versions of the story state a rock slide fell over the area, burying the strike forever. Nonetheless, the Lost Lemon Mine legend was kept alive well into the 20th century. Here's Crew Williams, the host of Dead Man's Curse, Slumax Gold. You gotta keep in mind, a mine is a little hole in the dirt, somewhere in a mountain, in a usual hard place to get to. They usually get exposed by landslides and fractures, and you're able to see it, and then you gotta get up there, and then you gotta dig in. So just getting to it's a process, let alone keeping it maintained, which is a big thing. In the autumn of 1848, two Yellowknife prospectors named Albert Peterson and Jay Hunt went in search of the mine. They believed they had the location because of a sample of gold ore they found in the Rockies west of High River in 1934. The sample was found along the headwaters of the Highwood River, which is near to where the Lost Lemon Mine is reported to have been located. If you think I'm going to shock you with a fun tidbit, sadly, I don't have much. They didn't find the mine, and at this point, they faded to history. But then, in September 1949, while building a highway through the foothills of the Rockies between Morley and Coleman, it was reported that construction crews came upon the mine. 
Morley is a small community on the Stony Nakoda Reserve about 30 minutes east of Banff on the Trans-Canada Highway. Coleman is 160 kilometers to the south in the Crow's Nest Pass near Frank, Alberta. This proved to be a false alarm, and the lemon mine continued to be just out of reach and seemed to exist only in the mists of time. If there's one thing these stories have in common, it's they all claim to have found the lost lemon mine only for it to be a false alarm. And this continued throughout the 20th century. In 1983, Thomas Mooney from Ontario said he had located the lost lemon mine based on information he got from his wife. She claimed to have found gold in the area in the 1950s. And you can guess what happened next. No gold was found. Then six years later, in 1989, Ron Stewart, a geologist at the University of Alberta, staked a 388 square kilometer claim at the Crow's Nest Pass, believing he had found the mine. He believed his claim would produce 17 million ounces of gold. I was unable to find how much he actually made off his claim, but if it was anything, it was far from the legendary strike the Lossaman mine was reported to have been. That same year, Vince Janostak, hearing of Stewart's claim, decided he was going to take to the hills to find the mine himself. He was 73 years old and had been prospecting for much of his life, but nothing substantial would come from his hopes of finding the mine. The Lost Lemon Mine has never been found, but it doesn't look like people looking for endless riches will ever stop looking. And 130 years later, we're still talking about the fabled mine and the storied lives of Lemon and Blackjack. Now that you've learned the story of the Lost Lemon Mine, I want to introduce you to Crew Williams. He's a prospector and host of the new podcast, Dead Man's Curse, Slumox Gold, a historical true crime show that investigates the curse and legend surrounding a lost gold mine at Pitt Lake in British Columbia. Tell me a bit about... Uh... Dead Man's Curse, you know, how, how did you, I know it's a TV show, but also how did this evolve? How did you get on that path? Well, I mean, let's be real. It was a legend and a mystery way before TV was even a thing. Okay. So this goes way back into BC history. The most beautiful thing for me was that my family was the one who egged me onto this, uh, told me about the legend, told me there was a bunch of Indians that would scalp me and leave me for dead. I went looking for it. I kind of took that as a challenge because I always get along with First Nations, you know, and I was like, I didn't think they would be that way. So the more I researched into Sluma, the more I just related to his character. I'm not really a people person. I love the woods, <laughs> not the hoods. So for me, I wanted to get out as much as I could. And that was freedom. You know, there's nobody out there to mess with you. Nothing but nature, beauty, God's land. Yeah. So. When you throw gold into the mix, well, now we're talking for motivation, a reason to be out there. And if you find that mind, that changes your life and everybody else you know. So, yeah, I took it on a lifelong mission. And then now here we are in a television show, you know. Mm -hmm. I lucked out. I met Adam Palmer, one of my best friends now. He's the only one who knows more than me about the legend that I knew. And uh, the only one capable enough to go out there and actually get it. So we teamed up. Here we are. Dead man's curse. And what challenges are there to putting this together? You know, obviously you're you're filming and you're recording a podcast in uh, an isolated location. It's not like you're driving down a cul-de-sac to a mine. Like you're in the middle of nowhere, like you said. So, uh, you know, with me, I'm recording in my in my uh, spare room and everything. It's easy. So, what's it like for you? 
Hey, it's not easy. I'm going to tell you that right now. Podcasting's hella hard. It's an art form in itself, number one. Number two, to be able to just find content that is actually cool, that you like, the viewers like, and then being able to relay that in the proper cadence and all these new words that I'm learning is very, very challenging. So definitely each has their own challenges and their own advantages. For me, it's just having the support. When you have a full team, that's something that prospectors aren't used to. It's normally some crazy old man off in a creek, watching his own back, going insane out in the woods alone. You know, we've got a whole squad with us, like mm-hmm. a family out there. So if me and Adam start acting goofy, Don's there to check us. When Don starts acting goofy, Taylor's there to stop. Him. So <laughs> it is it's like the perfect element. You got to love it because, man, things get weird out in the bush. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, your mind can play tricks on you. The land can play tricks on you. And then now with the release of the show, I've got prospectors from all over the world hitting me up. People that have been involved with this for family generations are giving me their information and passing it down. It's like, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because it's like, that was great grandfather's mission. That was grandfather's mission. And they're passing it down because it hasn't been fulfilled. A couple of them do claim they do know exactly where it is. I've even gotten GPS coordinates. So season on season, we're building. We're building on the footsteps of those who came before us. We're now taking in the information for those who are, you know, gladly just giving it up to help this get solved. And uh, in the end, we'll see what happens. Now, tell me a bit about you know, Slumac and, and this, this curse and this mine, you know, what, what is it for somebody who, you know, is I'm, I'm in Alberta, so I've never even heard of this mine before uh, I was alerted to your show. Okay. Well, um, hmm. the pit is the most harshest terrain in BC. We've been all over BC now. And for some reason, it's like time just forgot the pit. The logging companies only pushed in so far. You've got a lot of old growth. Old growth equals old animal populations. So the biggest and the best are still out there, untouched. Bears, timber wolves, that shoulders are higher than the old growth stumps. Paws as big as your face. Wolverine came through our camp. And I mean, I've never even seen Wolverine claws before. I had to ask, I was like, what are these? You know, because they're triangle shaped, like literal Wolverine claws, like X-Men. And it's like, Ah, every day is dangerous. Every night is worse. I couldn't do it by myself. I wouldn't make it back. And then you see why so many people didn't make it back. Whether it's the curse, whether it's the land, whether it's the animals, it's almost like everything stacked up against you. And that's why I'm so thankful to have the First Nations with us out there because this is their land and you feel it when you're out there. You almost feel like you get a pass because you're doing it the right way. Like in the beginning, I was obsessed with gold. Don't get me wrong. Still love gold. Okay. But I like getting gold the right way, not the wrong way, because I've seen what happens when you do it the wrong way. You know, these stories of these prospectors, heck, we even found that looked like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say it, looked kind of like a very bad scene, we'll say just for the legalities of it. And uh, you can tell something happened out there, you know, and it just makes it that much more realer. You forget the cameras are there. They're all dressed in black, like ninjas hiding behind trees. So when you're in the zone and you're like 
head deep in a cachet, bringing out history that no one has even seen the light of day for over a hundred years. You know, it's like, you don't care about a TV show. You care about that moment that you're in. So for me, it's the most realest thing I've ever done. As far as the TV side of it goes, I'm just glad we get to share it with everybody. I'm hearing great feedback. Like families are watching this together. Like when was the last time you sat down with your family and watched a TV show? Like a movie I get, but TV, I mean, it's something special. I'm just glad to be a part of it. With British Columbia, I think more than any other province, gold mining is probably a major part of its history. And, you know, with something like the Fraser River Gold Rush, where you saw prospectors come in and push Indigenous off their land and, and cause a major disruption. Why, you know, why is it so important now, like how you're doing it, where you are working with the Indigenous and, you know, being respectful of their land and, and in your attempts to, to you know, find this, uh, this lost mine? Well, that's how Slumok did it. You know, he was ahead of his time, you know, over in the UK, the Scots, all of them, they were just coming. They call it New Caledonia. They came so strong. So for Slumok, seeing the advancement, seeing these people come and seeing that the center of all their wealth and riches seemed to be gold and he knew where it was, he didn't go out there and strip mine the place. He didn't go out there and dynamite the place. I've got a theory about this, which we will get into in season two coming up in September. But uh, he did it the right way. He took what he needed when he needed it. He wasn't greedy. He knew that they would be. He made sure nobody else could find it because he knew the effects that would have on the land and his people. So, yeah, if there's ever a better model, it's Slumox model. You take what you need. Don't be greedy because it will catch up to you, you know, and rest his soul caught up to him in the end, too. Mm-hmm. And kind of related to that, and, you know, don't be greedy. What do you hope people get out of uh, the show and also the podcast? What they hope they learn about, you know, BC's history, their own history, the Indigenous prospecting? Well, you know, it's just sharing. In this world of overloaded content, I mean, there's a lot of garbage out there. Like my granny said, you know, guard your brain because, like, what you take in is going to make you who you are. And for me... What better way to give some motivation to like my students, to the next generation of prospectors, to heck, those guys in the office that are bored doing a nine to five, come on out on the weekends, you know, get the metal detector, get out there. Because there's so much history in the ground that I'm actually more excited now about pulling history out rather than gold, because BC is covered. And uh, when we go to these places, you don't expect to find something, but when you do, like you are now part of history. So oh, for me, I'm just glad to be a big part of the show. And I know season two is going to be a hit. And I can't wait to share it with everybody else. Do you feel like the landscape of BC lends itself to these kinds of legends? I mean, like I said, I'm in Alberta. I can see... You know, 30 kilometers in one direction, no problem. And I did live in BC, like in Rossland and the Okanagan. So I know kind of how it is. But do you feel like the landscape of BC, because, you know, it's mountains, there's so many trees, there's, you know, mystery around every corner when you're driving Mm -hmm. even, does that kind of lend itself to creating these kinds of stories? I think that's what keeps the legends hidden, Mm -hmm. to be real with you. Because this ain't trained that anybody can just go walk around in. Like you have to train for this, you know, and in martial arts, that's what it's all about. Leveling up the next step, the next step, the next step. A lot of people don't have that patience, perseverance, finances to be able to get them into the places that we're able to get and keep looking, 
Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's mental. And I find myself out there coaching myself like I'm in a fight. Like, it's okay. That's just round two. <laughs> you know, one more round. You got it. Dig one more hole because you never know if you don't dig a hole, you know? So at the end of the day, it's just tough, but it makes you tougher. So yeah, in BC, the land, it's beautiful, but it's unforgiving. It hides everything. You can be staring at something and then you just turn the corner at a different angle and it's a whole nother thing, let alone finding your way back in these woods is tough, you know? Like, thank God we have the new technology now, but a lot of those places have dead zones that don't work from the canopy. Even satellite has challenges in some of these places. So yeah, the land is the star of the show. There's no doubt about that because we're seeing places that nobody has seen for a very long time. And we're able to share it with people all over the world. So that in itself is pretty cool. But yeah, the land is amazing in BC. And so is Calgary though. <laughs> yeah. I love Alberta. Okay. Yeah, Alberta's a fighting state. <laughs> Yeah, province, I should say. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, they'd love to hear state. They're they're darn near American. So. Pretty pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, when you're out there and you're you know you're going through the terrain, do you think about the prospectors of you know even a hundred years ago or 150 years ago who you know they didn't have GPS, they were alone, like you said, and they're mm. doing this all by hand. Whereas you know you have a crew around you, you have that kind of. Uh, that immediate work family around you that you can draw support from. You have GPS, you have satellite, like you have all of this. Do you think mm. about what it was like for them? Every time I'm out there, I do, right? But the one thing I want to add in, the production is not our crew. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> if anything, they want you to fail because that makes good TV. They're just there to document. The okay. only team we have is our squad right here. Mm -hmm. And the reality of that is those expeditions, like the Lemon Lost Mine, had 15 prospectors that came straight out of the gold fields. You know what I mean? That's like, you might as well multiply that by 10. They know what they're doing. They are the hardest working men on the land out there. So like, that's a miniature army. We're out there with four regular people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we are, we are soft generation compared to them, you know? Mm -hmm. So if anything, our tech almost just helps us even be able to compete, you know? Mm -hmm. So some of these places will go. Yeah. We go out to old Pierre mountain. And they want us to cross Iceworm Creek, the same place where Peter Pierre slipped and broke his hip. And then they're like, oh, let's go across this river. And it's like, well, are you talking about the same river that Peter Pierre slipped and busted his hip? And that's where you want me to go right now. It's like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> let's get her done. But uh, so, yeah, I think about that constantly. But the moment we pass where they went, that's all new territory. That's mm -hmm. us. So for me, I just like, uh, competing i like winning and i like gold <laughs> <laughs> when you when oh. you cross that that territory you know like you said you cross that point do you think you know i'm the first person to see this this tree for mm. example in 200 years or whatever it might be it's like being on another planet you're you know the first person to step here and who knows how long i'm so glad you said that because i in my mind <laughs> feel like I'm on Star Trek and this is a whole new planet. And this is a, I might as well have my little recorder thing come out because it's like, it is like that, you know, mm. and it's the closest I'll probably ever get to that. So for me, just the experience of exploring is huge, but man, when you pull stuff out the ground, you know, nobody has seen that for a hundred years. It hasn't seen the sun 
when it falls apart in your hand and the patina of the metal, like I've never seen metal act like this when it's over a hundred years old, it starts to become fibrous and split apart like a piece of wood. And it's like to see the amount of effort that was put in just to forging this metal and forging knives and all this stuff. And then the importance it must've been when they lost it on expedition. You know what I mean? Because I've been out there, you lose stuff. Like this season, I'm taking it super serious. I'm getting tactical. I'm making sure I don't leave no more shovels or knives out there. It's starting to add up. But but at least I leave a little bit of myself out there for future explorers too. So, so yeah, for me, it is pretty cool. The history is what has kept me hooked. And it's made me say, this is what I am. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to stop until we're done. Yeah, like you said, that's the cool thing to think about is if you accidentally leave a shovel out there, a hundred or two hundred years down the road, somebody's picking that up and it's breaking away in their hands. You know, it's that passage mm-hmm. of time we don't often think about. Why do you feel that uh, people are drawn to lost mines, stories of these lost mines, whether it's lost lemon mine or with uh, Shulumax gold or anything like that? Well, I mean, let's be real. It's gold, and usually when you think mine, it's an unlimited source of gold. And back in the day, they were pulling out tonnage tonnage eleven dollars an ounce are you nuts that's like 2500 now it's just crazy the numbers so like we can find their tailing piles and get rich because they didn't go after small gold they only went after big gold so for me a mine is a mystery in itself where is it how does it work you go in the ground and you pull out gold that's great but man to find a lost one the old timers put in first that means life-changing wealth for you, your family, your friends, everyone you know. Life will be different. I don't even think about, oh, I'm going to get a brand new car or truck. I think about how am I going to help my family? How am I going to help out my school and students? How can I start making positive changes in the community with wealth like that? And with Katesy, it's like, my God, what's happened to the Katesy people is very, very tough. They went from some of the most beautiful land in BC to be pushed into a bog, a bog. They're literally, when you're on street level, like four feet down from the street level in a bog. And right next to them is raised up brand new multi-million dollar apartments, big, huge industrial, I won't say their name of their company, you know, companies everywhere. And then you've got the natives in a bog. I mean, it's like, it's insulting. So for me, it's like, I... I feel the need to give back to the Katesy and the First Nations. And I don't want to just give a man a fish. I want to teach them how to fish. This is their land. This is their resources. And sure, First Nation didn't believe in gold before, but they use cash now. Mm-hmm. So who knows what we could do with this find? What is the process if you find a mine like like? you know, lost lemon or Schlumax or whatever it might be. What's the process with that? Like I know in the past you stick down a claim and and you file it. Is it kind of the same thing? Is it something you file through the government? Well, technically it should be. (laughs) 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 That's the way it was, but we're doing it the right way. We have all Mm -hmm. the cameras here. And so, yeah, there's a very strict and stringent process with the MTO. And I'm very thankful for it because I actually ran into one of the resource officers here for the West coast on sunshine coast, they've only got two and they're protecting all of our natural resources. So if we don't abide by the honor system, 
we're screwing ourselves over. This is some of the most beautiful country in the world. And you start throwing arsenic in the water. There goes the salmon supply for life, life changing. That affects everybody down the coast, all the way up into the valley. Like it's such a cyclical system that it just takes one spoke to mess up the whole wheel. And uh, for me, after the show's over, I'm actually looking at, I mean, worked with law enforcement throughout my martial arts career, but now I'm thinking about it for myself and being a resource officer. I told him, I was like, thank you. You're Captain Planet. You're the only one out here actually saving it. You know what I mean? And enforcing it. There's only two of you. I was like, I got your back. I'm coming in soon. Show's done. Signing up. Nice. That's cool. It, it, it impacts your life in such a way. It really does. You become one with the land. And, and if no one else is helping it, you better, you know, mm-hmm. and it just takes one person to spark something and uh, anything's better than nothing. Absolutely. So with uh, the lost lemon mine, what kind of similarities does it share with, you know, the, the mine that you're talking about? Well, it's the wild, wild west. Let's get real. <laughs> We're talking about natives and cowboys and Americans and, you know, I mean, it's just crazy when you think about how life must have been back then, you know, and the only time I can relate is when I'm in the bush with a gun. You know, I hate to say it like that, but you need a firearm as a tool to live out there. Like the animals, the crazies, because I mean, we find it the crazy ass people out there. I mean, people who choose to live that deep in the woods, some are great. Don't get me wrong. Some could use some help. <laughs> and there's nobody else out there to regulate or check on them but you in that moment of time, right? So for me, it's the wild, wild west, and it's still wild, you know? And so you see the need to go to a place to create your own future and your own fortune if you can. And uh, a lot of people thought they could, and a lot of people have tried, and a lot of people have been successful. Just so many have not, you know, and that's one of the biggest challenges. And I think that's where the legends come in. It's like anybody who does anything, some people are going to fail. Those failures are really looked at and scrutinized and help build upon the mission. Uh, excuse me, the legend. <laughs> I look at it different now, but uh, yeah. So yeah, you can't blame them. They were adventurers. They were entrepreneurs. There was no tech industry. There was mining and logging and that's mm-hmm. what they chose to do. Why is it with all of our technology today, we still can't find some of these mines like Schlumax and then the Lost Lemon Mine? They remain hidden. Uh, for, if the Lost Lemon Mine even existed, I mean, there's a whole thing with that, but uh, they remain hidden for a century. Why is it so hard to find these? And I guess the obvious answer is it's the mountains, but you know. Well, I think it's more than the mountains, it's the vastness of the terrain. Right. Just being there is a challenge. You've got to survive. You got to set up base camp. You got to have supplies. Like even Jackson, one of the biggest prospectors to come out of the California fields, the one with the Jackson letter that kind of sparked myself and a lot of the other, uh, how do I say this? Settlers in British Columbia. And uh, what it does is it gives you an opportunity to go out there and prove yourself against nature. And BC, is bush it's wild every nook and cranny and things that you don't think are things end up being things and things that you think are things are definitely not what you thought they were so there's a lot of mystery and misleading mika memlus mine memlus when i die the mind dies now there's a secret piece of information in there in my mind 
I believe that he knows he needs to shore up something or else the erosion alone is going to hide it. So, I mean, it's a constant struggle against nature. It changes every season. So, yeah, it, it makes sense that these little holes get covered up. Pretty much it's like a pore on your skin. Like, yeah. good luck finding it again. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's pretty small. Yeah. In my why, opinion. <laughs> why, why is a, a curse kind of something that's always seems to be attached to lost on a mind? Same thing. There's a curse for anybody who finds it. This has a curse. So why is that often the part of a legend with a mine, whether it's these two or other mines? Well, let's start with the lost lemon mine. Okay. Like it started on murder. (laughs) (laughs) He split dudes head open with an ax over an argument about let's get gold now or get gold later. Okay. So just right out of the gate, that lemon guy, something (laughs) was wrong with his head. He was evil. That's evil. You go and kill your mining partner because you did what you came out here to do. So, I mean, it was burst in blood. Let's keep it real. So going forward from there, everything attached to the lemon mine, in my opinion, from what I've seen, was already tainted. And then you're bringing in a bunch of, you know, hardened Americans and, and you've got the priest using the half-breeds. It's like everybody's using each other all on the basis of a tainted murder, all because of gold. How could it not be cursed? You know, so what I found from, you know, Don's teachings on our show and along this journey is that greed is the curse. We're the ones who make it cursed. It's man that's coming out into the land and causing all this, killing each other, you know, hiding stuff, stealing stuff. And it's like, it brings out the worst in people. And I don't like that, you know, like I love going out panning, <laughs> like finding gold. I don't like murdering my friends. Like, I mean, <laughs> how do you get to that level, to that level? But we're in a different time in a different era. You know, our needs are met. Their needs were not. So who am I to judge them? I didn't come up like that, but you definitely see how cursed follows gold <laughs> and mysteries, you know, it's mm-hmm. hand in hand. You mentioned how, you know, finding the mine and the gold could be life-changing and, and you'd want to pay it for it and everything. Is another big part of it solving the mystery uh, oh. and, and being able to be like, I've, I found this and, you know, I've closed the book on this or whatever it might be? Well, I'm going to be real with you. Growing up of, you know, personal color, I experienced things different in life. And I've been hated on for no reason at all. I had to figure this shit out. Excuse my language. <laughs> but the reality is, it's like I related with Slogan. You know, I was the black sheep of my family. I was on the outside always looking in. I didn't give a damn. I'd rather be in the woods. And so I was seeing these similarities. And then when I hear about, oh, he was the murderer of this, and he murdered these people too, and you don't know. And I said, a crazy brash Indian. And then we go and find out he's an 84-year-old man. Like, come on. They didn't even use the right picture. They just like, oh, here's a tough guy, native. Let's throw him as Slumok. So as I started researching and seeing all this that went with my gut feeling, it was like, wow, he got done dirty. And it's like, that's not right for anybody. But I mean, since his death, they have dragged his name through the mud, you know? Mm. And it's like, that ain't right or fair for anybody the least we can do is set the record straight. So as long as we can get that out, uh, people to understand that people weren't treated right back in the day 
And we should judge them on the content of their character, not their color of their skin. And the reality is Slumonk was a prime example of that all throughout the newspapers, all throughout history. Like it didn't get better. It just got worse. And then, um, you know, the show happened. A group of people came together. They wanted to tell the history. I'm the one who wants to get the gold. They all want to tell the history. I thought they were crazy, but I get it because the history's the gold. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it really is. It's showing like this works. People coming together, diverse backgrounds, working together, not telling each other who they are, or what their problems are, this, that. But let's just work together. Let's just get it done. And let's show by example. And that's why I love this team, because at the end of the day, we're a unique bunch. <laughs> <laughs> motley crew they say but it works you know (laughs) and everybody has their own strengths and abilities and in the end it's fun i wouldn't even be here if if i wasn't enjoying myself going forward so yeah and then uh after this do you think you'll eventually take a crack at finding the lost lemon mine well i ain't stopping i'm gonna tell you that right now (laughs) on my off time now this is what i do i just got out of some limestone caves in a spanish island where the Spanish were on the West Coast. People ain't even talking about that stuff. I found pieces of a shipwreck from at least early 1800s out here. And I'm just like, this land is covered. And this is just BC. It's like, don't let me get back to Australia. You know what I mean? It's like, you just pick up gold nuggets there. So yeah, 100%. It's weird because I never really like to call myself a prospector. I just like getting gold. Uh, for me, it's always learning process. Like nobody's going to know everything, every stone and everything out there. You're constantly learning. There's very few chances to continue learning in life. This is one of them. Every time I'm out in the field, I find something new. Uh, the adventure, the mystery, the motivation, because you've got history out there now on top of treasure. So it's like you're going to school, you find treasure, you get rewarded for it. You find artifacts, you're contributing to history. It's like, why wouldn't I do this for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. So yeah, lost lemon mine and beyond. <laughs> and then, and uh, I have a theory on the lemon mine too. Oh, let's hear it. Say yeah. that on here. Let's okay. hear it. Well, here's the thing, right? So with the lost lemon mine, everybody keeps looking in the same area and coming up short. Now, just the phrase lost lemon mine kind of throws things off a little bit, I think. Because technically speaking, from the sounds of it, they came across placer gold. Okay. In my opinion, from what I read, it didn't sound like they were drilling and mining because Mm -hmm. even to start the mine, you need to see the vein. So what a prospector will do is he'll start looking for colors in the river first and then work his way up. If he's got color, well, then we find the source. So I'm believing that nug they found was most likely placer and they knew that the area was rich in theory. But where'd that creek come from? Where was the original water flow of that creek? Because a lot of the times you'll find, oh, this season it's here. Well, you know, for a thousand seasons, it was over here. So where the water deposits, you don't know unless you trace back to the original source. One thing that I noticed is that along the American border with Alberta is a national park. Now, when was that national park created? You know, Uh, that would have been Waterton, I think, probably early 1900s, like 1910s ish. Mm hmm. After or before this legend? Do you know? Because the geologists in that area, you know, and so for me, what I've noticed with governments, we won't say any in particular, they (laughs) tend to put national parks on things where they know something is and it kind of creates a vault. 
Now, for me, I know that they work with the best. They know their land, too. You know, so I find it peculiar that on the American border in that far corner on the border of B.C., Alberta knew something about this area. There's also Pincher Creek that comes, I believe, from the states into Alberta. Does it flow that way or does it flow in reverse? I'm not I sure because I haven't had boots on the I think it flows into the United States. I think it Are does. Are you sure? I don't know for sure, though. From the source, it looked like it flowed because I know that it's a higher mountain range of the topography mm-hmm. of the maps that I looked at. It looked like it flew kind of into that area. Now, are you familiar with Bill Barley? No. Bill Barley, Gold and Ghost Trails and all this stuff. Well, he's like the Mr. Rogers of Prospect. And uh, he's a legend in B.C. And he had a theory that some of the richest gold in B.C. was actually along that border in that area. The challenge was there was so much overburden that no one would be able to get to it with modern mining methods. So if he says there's gold there, I believe there's gold there. Now, if that river actually goes close to that area, the source of the gold might be a lot farther south than they're actually looking for. And if everyone's looking for a mine, you know, if they didn't mine, well, you know, I mean, where's the source of the plaster? Let's start there. So I'm thinking that it's a lot further south, and I think it traveled a lot farther than they think and possibly was deposited in that area, hence why some of the best prospectors around couldn't find it. I mean, that says something right there, too. It's not like they don't know how to find gold. Mm -hmm. So technically speaking, when you put that together, a gold-rich area, a national park, and a creek that starts from that gold-rich area and ends up in that area, the only thing to actually match the geology, because a lot of geologists say there's no gold east of the Rockies, right? So that makes more sense to me than a mine from a crazy murderer (laughs) <laughs> who killed his prospecting partner. That's as worse as you can get, you know? So, yeah. So it might just be a lemon, but it actually might be, you know, a rich gold placer claim too. Mm-hmm. And to find that old river, that's where I think it would be because that's where it would have been for the longest. And we've had so much environmental change with, you know, this climate stuff going mm-hmm. on. It's like, yeah, it's not going to be the same creek as it was back then. So Absolutely. definitely changes the game. Hmm. And then um, my last question is just, you know, where can people see the show? Uh, I know the podcast is coming on June 6th and that's uh, right. this, this will come out before that. And, uh, you know, where can everybody find it? Or if you have any social media people can follow you at? Yeah, definitely. Let me start off with the podcast first. And I just sure. want to say this for those who've actually watched the show, the podcast is next level. Like I learned more on this podcast than I learned in 20 years looking for Slumox Gold. Like, what does that say? And the cool thing is, is it's actually done in a format with like sound effects and it's kind of like sucks you into the past. It's like you're there in the courtroom listening to Slumog before he gets hung and then finding out like this is a murder mystery. Like I had no idea that the richest family in New Westminster ended up paying for a steamship for a posse to go up into the bush and find one old native. That didn't even make sense. So it's like, what's really going on here? So like, we've got some of the richest families. We've got the sheriffs. We've got the judges system. We've got the oldest city in BC and everybody's out to get Slumak. Why? You know, that's the mystery. And so as we delve into this, I mean, it's getting better and bigger as we go. So the podcast is pretty dope because it definitely complements the show. As far as I go, um, you can find me at BC Standup on Instagram, uh, A Crew Williams on Facebook, 
And we actually have a Dead Man's Curse IG page that they just started up way after the show launched, but they're getting started and they've got lots of content. And um, yeah, June 7th, we drop our podcast and you can find it available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever you download. The show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of Dila Velasquez. Audio production design by Rosalind Kufor. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.